0: If you have a Bible near you this morning, would you open it up to Luke chapter 7? We'll get there momentarily. Did you hear about the man who was driving through the state of Texas when he decided to stop at a rest area? He went into the bathroom. The first stall was taken, so he went into the second stall. He heard a voice from the first stall and heard a guy say, hi there, how's it going? Now the man in the second stall wasn't used to talking to somebody while he was in the restroom. He was a little uncomfortable, but eventually he said, I'm doing fine. Then the man in the first stall said, so what are you doing? By this time, the man in the second stall thinks this guy is a freak, but he eventually says, I'm heading east on business. And that's when he heard the aggravated man in the first stall say, look, I'm going to have to call you back. Every time I ask you a question, this idiot in the next stall keeps answering me. It's kind of embarrassing. It's pretty odd as well, and it sure is odd to preach this morning Uh, Without seeing your smiling faces out here in the audience, it's very different to say the least, but grateful to get to share with you and excited to get to talk with you about this topic of security. The word security immediately made me think of a time when I was a sports broadcaster at Marshall University down in Huntington, West Virginia. At the time, Marshall was what they called a one a school, which means they were a smaller football school than schools like Kentucky, Ohio State, and Michigan. And they were dominant in that division, so dominant that they were in the 1AA National Championship game each of my first two seasons at Marshall. It helped that they had a guy by the name of Randy Moss on their football team. Both of those years, the 1AA National Championship game was held on Marshall's home field. When well, Marshall lost the first National Championship game I was a part of to the Montana Grizzlies, who had like 12 fans to celebrate with. But in 1996... In my second season at Marshall, the Thundering Herd won the 1AA national title. And I'll never forget what happened late in the fourth quarter of that championship game. I was the sideline reporter at the time, and and all I remember is feeling like there was a war going on. There were guys in security uniforms everywhere. And I later found out that they were from Pinkerton Security, which was basically a -a rent-a-cop company in Huntington. And their only goal was to keep 30,000 Marshall University football fans from tearing down the South goalpost after the game ended and the fans stormed the field. Let's just say the plastic handcuffs and the, the cap guns didn't do the trick because those Marshall fans tore down the goalpost within two minutes of that game ending. I've never seen so many security guards scatter so quickly in my life. They look like cockroaches that had just been exposed to light, they disappeared almost instantly and not only did the Marshall fans tear down the goalpost, but they managed to get it out of the stadium as well. Maybe this is a West Virginia thing, I don't know, but they literally carried the goalpost through the streets of downtown Huntington. I've never seen anything quite like it. My message this morning is entitled "A Secure God." and I have a feeling that maybe some of you don't believe in a secure God. Maybe your view of God is similar to my view of a Pinkerton security guard. Maybe you think of God as unreliable, unfaithful, even a big joke. Maybe you view God as someone who bails out when times get tough. You may think of God as simply a crutch that provides little security at all. We are obviously in the midst of some uncertain times right now. Some of us are facing financial fears. I just flew out to broadcast the national championship out in Missouri, where the vast majority of my salary was based on advertising that I sold that would run during those national championship games. Well, that national championship was canceled 45 minutes before I was to go on the air with my first broadcast. So obviously, none of the advertising that I sold actually ran. And so I understand the financial fears that some of you are feeling. Many of us are facing medical fears with this virus. Am I going to be okay if I get it? And then there's things that matter to us, like relationally or socially. Is my son going to be able to have a prom and a graduation? Will I get to take a vacation with my family? Will my church be okay? When will I get to have fellowship with my church family again? And those are a lot of questions. Those are legitimate questions. We don't have answers to most of those questions today. But what I can do this morning is encourage you a little bit and give you a couple reminders about the God of this universe. None of them are very profound, uh, but I want to give you some simple reminders that will give you security in the midst of the uncertainty that we face. And the first promise that I see in God's word that I want to encourage you with this morning is that a secure God never changes. Look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Several years ago, my dad replaced the starter on his car and he was given a one-year warranty. So when the starter went bad, nine months later, my dad went back to the gas station because the part was still under warranty. But the gas station was no longer in business. The gas station had gone bankrupt and so my dad was stuck. The warranty on that starter was supposed to provide security, but it ended up being worthless because the circumstances had changed. We have a God That has never changed. If my relationship with God changes, it's because I've changed. It's because I've done things that have caused our relationship to suffer, but never will God leave us and never will he change. Second principle I want to share with you this morning is that a secure God is alive. And it didn't take a Bible college education to figure this one out, but think about it, how much security can a dead God possibly provide? Revelation one eighteen says, I am the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. You see, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection should provide us with security, especially during uncertain times. After 9-11, there seemed to be a huge spike in what we would call interfaith services. And the leaders of these services are always trying to convince us that there are many ways to get to God. As a Christian, you won't get criticized for saying that Jesus is a way to get to heaven. You probably won't face much criticism if you say Christianity is a superior religion, but you will face intense scrutiny if you claim that Jesus is the only way. And I believe Jesus is the only way because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But I also believe Jesus is the only way because Jesus is alive, like Muhammad is in a grave. Buddha is in a grave. Brigham Young and Joseph Smith are in graves. Moses is in a grave. Confucius is in a grave. I don't want to put my eternal security in somebody who couldn't conquer death. Jesus Christ did. He is alive. And that should provide us with security. So number one, a secure God never changes. Number two, a secure God is alive. And number three, a secure God is in control. we are facing right now has shook up our nation, it shook up our world because it caught us off guard. But I want to encourage you with what encouraged me. Nothing catches God off guard. God is in control. He is omniscient or all-knowing. The Bible says He knows the number of hairs on your head. There's nothing that surprises our God, whether it's the coronavirus, terrorist attacks, a shaky financial future we can be certain that our God is in control. God is in control in times of loss. And if you have that Bible and it's open to Luke 7, why don't you look at verse 11? It says, soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, the dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. This woman had serious problems. She'd already dealt with the death of her husband. she had already experienced months of, of grief and loneliness. And then it gets worse as her son dies. Without a man in her family, it would be next to impossible for this woman to survive financially. As a widow, she would be unable to make a living for herself. In verse 14, Jesus refers to the dead son as a young man. So this wasn't like an 80-year-old mother and her 60-year-old son. This was a young boy, and we don't know how he died, but it was definitely a terrible tragedy. It may have been a prolonged disease. It may have been a sudden accident. We don't know, but we do know he had probably just died because the Jews didn't believe in embalming, so they would almost always bury their dead within 24 hours. Notice that Luke says that they took the dead boy outside the city for the burial which was a custom at that time as well. My wife and I are blessed to have three amazing boys. My oldest, Ricky, will graduate this June. and Man, I can't imagine dealing with the death of a child. It's not supposed to work that way. A parent and a child have a very special bond. And and over those 18 years that I've had the privilege of being Ricky's dad, there are things that I have done for him that I wouldn't do for anybody else on this planet before November 12, 2001, when Ricky was born, I had never changed a diaper in my life. I had never been, I don't think, within three feet of a dirty diaper. And I'm serious, but I have had no problem at all changing the diapers of my three boys. I did have a mask for a little while that I used the first couple times, but I've even gotten rid of that. But you will make sacrifices for your child that you wouldn't make for anyone else. And I imagine this mom was the exact same way. If her son was involved in programs in the synagogue, I bet my last dollar she was there. I'm sure she had worked her tail off to make sure his needs were met after dad died. And then out of nowhere, he dies too. Look at verse 12. It says, a large crowd from the town was with her. This woman had friends that would help her carry her burdens, but there's only so much that friends can do. It was her encounter with Jesus that changed everything. Now, Jesus was in the midst of a festive celebration when he came in contact with the woman. And I imagine everybody else involved in that celebration just kept partying. I bet the death of the boy affected them very little. If anything, they probably were a little bit ticked off that the dead boy was brought by because it ruined their big bash. Jesus stopped everything he was doing and he cared for the woman. His attitude changed instantly. Look at verse 13. It says, when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin and those carrying it stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. It's important to know this wasn't a coffin like we would see at a funeral service today. This coffin was open. It was more like a stretcher. The Orthodox Jews considered you unclean if you touched a dead body, but Jesus didn't care. Verse 15 is a pretty cool verse. It says, the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. The whole situation changed, not because of the woman's Christian friends. It changed because she encountered Jesus, and he was in control. So many times, in the midst of adversity and and trials, we spend more time consulting friends than we do consulting the great physician or consulting the Word of God And not only can Jesus comfort us in our times of loss, unlike anybody else, but he can cure the problem as well because he's in control. When his wife was dying, C.S. Lewis wrote in his journal, I need Christ, I need Christ, not one of his followers. Is Jesus gonna eliminate every problem? Is he gonna eliminate every source of tears? No way, but he promises that he will take every loss that you and I go through, and he'll use it for good. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I imagine there's a good number of you watching this right now that have dealt with some significant losses in recent months. Maybe those losses, those pains have really hindered your relationship with God. Maybe you can't look back yet and see how God has used that loss for good. I want to encourage you to be patient because God is in control. This morning, I wanna encourage you to give your doubts and your pains to him. Satan is gonna do the best he can to use those doubts to keep you from taking the next steps in your relationship with Jesus. And I want you to make a pact this morning, right now, that you're not gonna allow that to happen. On February 18th, 1993, the Cincinnati Bible College girls' basketball team was traveling through Marshall, Michigan when their van hit a patch of ice and crashed. Every coach and player amazingly survived the terrible wreck except for one. Jill Rendell, the spark plug of that CBC team, was in the passenger seat when the accident occurred. Jill was immediately thrown out of the vehicle. That CBC van eventually rolled over onto Jill several times. She eventually died of suffocation. I had met Jill the summer prior, at a week of camp at Round Lake, she was part of a come-alive traveling team from Cincinnati Bible College. Also on that traveling team was a girl named Jennifer. who was from my home church up in Cleveland. And shortly after that accident, Jennifer dropped out of Cincinnati Bible College. Not long after that, she ended her relationship with Jesus because she could never understand how a loving God could allow a tragedy like Jill's to happen. Some of us may have reacted the same way. I don't know. But what amazed me about the story of this Jill Rendell was the faith of her father, Wally, who was the senior minister at Southern Acres Christian Church in Lexington, Kentucky. You see, just a week prior to her death, Jill had been named the homecoming queen at Cincinnati Bible College. And so the subject of Wally Rendell's message at his daughter's funeral was how the queen had gone to meet the king. Was Wally Rendell hurting? You better believe it. But his faith was strong and it didn't waver because he truly believed his God was secure and that his God was in control. Just before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were to be thrown into a fiery furnace for not worshiping the gods and the golden images Nebuchadnezzar had set up, this is what they said in Daniel three seventeen and 18. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Listen to this. They said, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew that their all-powerful God had the ability to save them. But they also knew that there was a chance that God would allow them to die. And they made it clear that their faith would not change due to their circumstances. They had complete trust that their God was in control. How will you react when you're in the midst of a fire or a storm? What's going to happen to you and your faith when mom and dad get a divorce or a loved one passes away? How strong will you be when your finances are unraveling or when adversity hits in such a way that you can't even fathom that it eventually will lead to good? Please allow me to tell you how you'll react. If your security is found in a church or in Christian friends or if your faith is lukewarm, Satan is gonna eat you alive. He will use these things to destroy your relationship with Jesus Christ. But if you are totally sold out to Jesus and if you believe he is in control and your security is truly found in him, you'll be able to stand the strong. You'll be able to fight the good fight and God will use the adversity you face to make you even stronger. I want to warn you this morning that storms are coming. Bob Russell, the longtime minister at Southeast Christian in Louisville, would regularly say, say, you're either coming out of a storm, you're either in the midst of a storm, or you're going into a storm. I don't know where you're at right now, but I want to encourage you to get ready. Let me encourage you with one other thing that helps me understand the security that I can find in God. It's that this big God of the entire universe, hurts when you and I hurt. 7.8 billion people in this world, and he hurts when we hurt. I think back to the story of Lazarus, who was the brother of Mary and Martha. And Lazarus is described in John eleven three as the one that Jesus loved. And so although he is mentioned very little in Scripture and the Gospels, it's obvious that Jesus was very close to Lazarus. John eleven five 5 indicates that Jesus loved Mary and Martha as well. And we know that Jesus visited this house of Mary and Martha often during his ministry. Well, Lazarus becomes ill. So Mary and Martha send word to Jesus that they need his help. And by the time Jesus got word of the illness, Lazarus had already died. But the Bible says that Jesus did nothing for two days. Then he decided to go to Bethany. And by the time he arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Jesus planned from the beginning to raise Lazarus. In John eleven four, 4, he said the sickness will not end in death. He planned to use the death and resurrection of Lazarus to show that he was much more than just a great healer and a great teacher. He wanted to show that he was in control of life itself. Mary and Martha, they were a little distraught when Jesus arrived. They were a little upset that he hadn't come earlier to save the day. Martha understood that Lazarus would rise in the last days. But she had no clue that Jesus could bring him back to life. The Bible says that Mary, Martha, the other Jews were weeping. And the original language used here indicates they were wailing loudly, which was a custom of first century Jewish mourners. When Jesus saw the mourners and when he saw Lazarus, the Bible says that Jesus wept. Now, why would Jesus weep knowing he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead? He wept because he saw people that he loved hurting and that made him hurt. Even though he would help heal their pains, even though their suffering would end shortly, it didn't stop Jesus from experiencing grief. And as children of God, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus weeps when we're in storm. Sure, he knows they're going to make us stronger. He knows they're going to force us to rely on him more, but he knows that storms hurt and he knows that they cause pain and insecurity and fear. And it comforts me to know that our incredible, important God is weeping when I weep. The burdens I carry, he carries as well. And that provides me with security when I go through storms. I imagine that some of you that are are watching this this morning um, need prayer. Maybe your life at home right now isn't too secure and, and you'd like someone to pray with you. Maybe you just want someone to pray with you to stay on track spiritually. Maybe you're still dealing with a serious loss that you've experienced recently and you need to give it to God. Maybe you've experienced it and need to release some serious guilt. I wish that we could pray with you this morning, in person, face-to-face, but that's not possible. So I wanna encourage you to do something this morning. I wanna encourage you to leave a note right here on the East Point Facebook page about how we can pray for you. If it's something just between you and God, just write the words, unspoken request, and know that we will pray. If you are someone who is willing to pray for a couple of these requests, then please leave a note that you will do that as well. Better than leaving a note that says, I will pray. Why don't you leave a note after you have prayed? That would be awesome. You know what made that whole goalpost frenzy at Marshall University even wilder? Was that every fan that stormed the field that day went after the South goalpost? Not one fan got within 40 yards of the north goalpost. You see, while the Pinkerton security guards were running for their lives on the south end of the field, the West Virginia state police were on the north end of the field, and they didn't move an inch. They were committed, determined, and rock solid. And so those Marshall University football fans made the right choice by running the other way. I want to close this morning by simply saying this. We are incredibly blessed to have a God and to know a God that is committed, determined, and rock solid. Don't run the other way. Why would we even try to tackle the, the, the Goliath in our lives on our own? Run toward the security and the stability that Jesus Christ died to provide. Um, it doesn't matter really what your story is, what baggage, what hurts, what sins, And even what fears that you are dealing with, what matters is that you know a God who is absolutely crazy about you, no matter what. We have a God who cares, who wants to walk with us every step of the way. The Bible makes it clear, it tells us to cast all of our anxieties on him because he cares for us. I hope you will continue to do that in the midst of what we are dealing with right now. And I hope and pray you will do that in all things until Jesus comes again.